Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And I am your host, Bill Sickens. This is, as always, User-Friendly 2.0. Got another great episode coming up for you this week. We're going to be talking about security. We're going to be answering your questions. We're going to be looking at Chrome extensions. All that is going to be coming up. Jeremy, Gretchen, Bill, welcome to the show. Hey. Hello there. Hi. Glad to have you with us this week. Hopefully you're awake. If not, we'll wake you up because we got a lot to talk about. So with no further ado, let's go into the news. Looking for the perfect date night or fun for the whole family? Come to Symposium in Sherwood on Thursday night, June 23rd, where you can meet artist D.K. Bulljet and see her original Oregon art and cards at the Summer Solstice Celebration on June 23rd from 5 to 8 p.m. This is a free event. And Symposium is just one of the many businesses within walking distance who are participating in the Sherwood Art Walk on Thursday, June 23rd from 5 to 8 p.m. A great way to spend your evening. So what is in the news? Microsoft won't say if it will patch critical Windows vulnerability under exploit. What does that mean? In all honesty, why would we want it secure, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just your operating system. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I don't see that where Microsoft should be worried about this. Okay, sarcasm sign, right? Yeah, mm. so what's sarcasm going, sign. So what's going on here is there's been a vulnerability, which is one that's kind of hard to deal with, that exploits a problem in the logging system. So uh, for anybody that's not a huge techie out there, Windows 10, Windows 11, both, and they have for many years, have a logging system. So if something goes wrong with your operating system or something happens, it keeps a record of it so that you can look at it and try to figure out what's going on and be able to fix it or do whatever you would need to do. So what they have is an exploit here. It has to do with Word documents primarily. And if you get a Word document through a phishing link on an email or off the web or something that's contaminated. Now, in the past, we've had the problem where if you open it and execute commands in it, that can cause a problem where your computer can become compromised. But they've been able to figure out a way to do it that if you just do a preview, it can infect your computer. And that's what this is. And it's been talked about. Microsoft has published what they call a workaround, but they have not published what would be considered a fix. Hmm. Hmm. Adobe so Glen. Keep going. I was going to say, that's just terrible. I mean, it really is because it's such an easy thing to use and utilize against Windows machines. Yeah. As someone who uses, you know, documents and stuff and downloads them i mean granted i've switched mostly over to google docs it's this is bad they they really yeah. need to fix this one yeah they yeah. they do and the other side of it is is this is also one where most computer users are probably not going to get into the log management system and you only would if someone walked you through it to get you to give them something so it's not even a system that you're really probably going to be familiar with no, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm intimately familiar with it myself, but... <laughs> well, yeah, me too. A little bit more than I'd like to be, frankly, but... <laughs> mm. Adobe plans to make Photoshop on the web free to everyone. Okay, so there's a few caveats that go along with this. I saw saw that and went, great! That's, That's going to say... Huh? I didn't know, see that many asterisks, so I don't yeah. know. What's up? <clears throat> well... Okay, first of all, it would be so they don't call it this, but I would call this Photoshop Lite. Ah, okay. so the version oh. you get on the web is supports some features like layers, mm -hmm. but I think it's limited to four or something. Anyway, there there were a lot of limitations in there. 
And the idea is to give you a way to start, which is kind of cool. You have the basic commands, and I give them credit for that. But if you want any advanced functions, you still have to buy it. The cool thing about it here on both ends is there's a lot of people that use Photoshop for some of the basics that this does help. And the other side, I think it's a good idea for Adobe because if somebody gets in and decides they like Photoshop, maybe they'll buy it. But basically, it's that trash essential one that they used to give out with printers and stuff and cameras. Yeah, it's it, it's a little better than that. So what Bill's talking about hmm. is there was this time that uh, it was a product, I believe, called Photoshop Elements. Yeah. And the, the only elements were the title screen. It seemed like it did a few things, but this is a little more functional than that. I mean, it's actually worth it, but it's not the full blown version either. Hmm. Russian tech giant Yandex removes national borders from Maps app. So, what? Okay, Yandex (laughs) is a company like Google Maps Yeah, uh, for us. And um, as Russia has invaded Ukraine and all of that's going on, I have a feeling there might have been some government pressure here from Russia, but they've moved the political borders uh, of Ukraine and Russia so that Mm. when you look at the map, it no longer shows as two different countries. I see. What about and, the rest uh, of the world? Uh, <laughs> that depends on how and where you look at it. In some places it's gone, in some places it's not. Their official statement is they're focusing more on local navigation, whatever that may mean. But mm. that is the case here. So, yeah, if you use the index now and you look at it, uh, the whole world is Russia in some cases. <laughs> I'll pass on that. Uh, Michigan approves digital license plates by a startup Reviver. Yeah, so let me talk about this first, then we can discuss it a little bit. What this is, is a company that um, creates digital license plates, just as it says. There's three states that allow this now, uh, Michigan being the newest, California and Arizona being the other two, and it is something that seems to be expanding. It's a unit you put on your car, and it's basically a screen that goes where your license plate goes. Now, the license plate number is locked in. You can't change that, and it also will operate while the car is turned off without running your battery dead and all of that. So it doesn't go blank or anything, but it does have some interesting features. You can change the other stuff that it says on the plate. There's a light and a dark mode for day and night and all that kind of stuff. If the car is stolen, you can remotely change the license plate to say the word stolen. Uh, so the person driving it would you know, have that. It has hmm. GPS location. So if you're using it on a fleet, you can track all of that. But it is a situation that if you want this, you do need to open the checkbook. Hmm. The uh, use fee for it, I believe, is 25 a month. On top of your registration. Wow. That's for people who have money to throw away. (laughs) I'm sure that, you know, there hasn't been much comment on that yet, but I'd be very curious to see how that worked because the license plate number is still displayed electronically. It's just locked into it. But we all know there's no such thing as a computer that's really hack proof. Or a car. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Wow. Except for maybe my truck. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> is that because your truck uh, doesn't have a computer? Well, that's because I can run my truck without having the keys on. Oh, well, there is that. Mm. I mean, actually, my, my antique truck would also be hack-proof because there's no computers at all. Yeah, exactly. I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> think my car has a computer either. If it does, it's, like, very minimal. The, the most electronic thing on my truck, my old 69, is the stereo. Yeah, and it is that's, an AM yeah. stereo. <laughs> One that's speaker. How my, that's how my Toyota <laughs> is, too. I just, uh, oh, yeah. Google will expand the usefulness of voice commands beyond Android phones. Yeah, this is an interesting topic because other digital assistants seem to have already done this uh, a lot. But 
the Google Assistant is going to be added to other devices like smartwatches and a variety of other things so that you can use it beyond the phone. So this is a big announcement from Google. I think having the virtual assistants available in other places does make a lot of sense. I've kind of taken that to the new level. I, you know, each room of my house, of course, and then the car and the, the I guess that would be another electronic pin in my truck, too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ford recalls nearly 49,000 Mustang Mach-E's over battery safety issues. Yeah, we uh, seem to be having a lot of these kind of problems. <laughs> yeah, I can wonder if that's why our neighbor got rid of his car. Okay. So let's... Uh... What's the difference in the Mach-E that's causing the battery problem? Okay, this is like a lot of the other issues we've seen. There's a chance that they will catch on fire. They're recommending oh. that if you have one of these cars, you don't park it in the garage, uh, <laughs> at least until it's fixed. <laughs> and, uh, so is this an electric mu- Mustang? Yeah, you need, a Mach-E is, a, is the electric okay. Mustang. Okay. So the last time yeah. I was in a Mustang was a 64 and a half. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that, w- that would have had yeah. a battery, but a 12-volt lead-acid battery does not tend to have these kind of problems. Um, no, this is the electric Mustang, and they actually are really cool cars. I've seen one of them. They're pretty. They're fun to drive, but they are having problems across the board, it seems like, with these batteries and getting some of the kinks worked out. Hmm. So I don't know. You know, new technology, you're always going to see this is or that's, I think, that are out there. And it doesn't mean don't try it out. Don't be an early adopter. Just be prepared that you might have to deal with stuff. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Glad you're here with us for this week's show. Joining me now is guest Irit Humdunny. Did I say your name correctly? Yes, you did. Thanks. Well, wonderful. Hey, I was worried about that. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. So, you know, we talk on user-friendly a lot about sustainability and technology related to that. And I know this is an area that uh, you're working in. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Great. Yeah. So um, I am the founder and CEO of a company called Aspelinda. And um, it really started with my personal journey into sustainability. So I was looking into the products that we were using around the house and seeing, you know, what kind of alternatives there are to those, for example, those, you know, thick plastic containers for laundry detergents and things like that. And I realized as as a personal consumer how difficult it is to find um, reliably sustainable brands out there without a lot of research and time and effort that goes into it. And so as I was kind of researching for my own personal use, um, Stanford came out with this innovation program post-COVID, and uh, I participated in that, and that's when Aspelinda was born. Um, So I also come from a technology background. Um, I've been a developer, a solution architect, uh, and so I've been using my, my technical skills to put this together and to offer it to customers through a free Google Chrome extension. So tell us what a Chrome extension is and then how that works and how somebody would get it. Sure. So a lot of people are familiar with the basic Chrome extensions like ad blockers. Um, You install them on your desktop. So they run on your desktop in a um, Google Chrome browser. And they they can do all sorts of things like um, 
um, I don't know, suggest different things to you or interact with you in different ways. And so what my Google Chrome extension does is while you're shopping, and it's now available for Amazon. So while you're shopping on Amazon, when you're looking at different products, if we have recommendations in our database for sustainable products in those domains, it pops up and shows you them. And then you can um, hover over and see more information. So it's really important to us to provide all the information uh, with regards to what makes this product uh, sustainable, what are the values behind the companies. Uh, we have a very thorough uh, vetting process. So you know that the products that we're recommending are reliably sustainable. And then you can go ahead and click through them and add them to your cart and continue your shopping on Amazon and check out. So that's, that's kind of how it works. So tell us a little bit about the vetting products uh, process. How do you figure out what products you suggest and recommend? Excellent question. Uh, it's, it's really important to us to be trustworthy and reliable. Uh, there's, there's so much what's called greenwashing out there already. Um, so initially we, we look at companies that, that started out being sustainable. So those companies are typically higher up on the end of, uh, of being, you know, with the right values and everything. Sustainability means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So sometimes it's, uh, um, the ingredients that goes into it, the packaging, the shipping. But also we're looking at things like uh, the manufacturing process, the, um, the how, how the employees are treated. You know, if it's a, if it's a fair trade company, where are they um, sourcing their materials? So there's a whole list of criteria that goes into it. And the vetting process is, is very thorough, looking into all their certifications as well. And, and some certifications are, are more valuable than others. Um, and so all that goes in and, uh, and that's the process that we go through. So tell us a little bit about putting together the Chrome extension and uh, did it work first time out? How, how did, how does, how did that go? So yeah, I was a developer back, I don't know, 15 years ago, but technology has changed. And so just putting it together, I did all the development. I, I really had to kind of learn everything that I'm doing. So, um, there is um, back-end uh, functions, uh, Lambda functions on AWS. So I'm, I'm using AWS uh, for both uh, uh, DynamoDB and Lambda functions. And then there's different third parties that I use for search engines and for uh, analytics. And then the front-end part, I'm using a, a framework called Vue.js. Um, and so, like I said, every, everything that I was doing or everything that I am doing developing is, is new to me. But there's so much resources out there. It's uh, it's not too hard to you know get up to speed. I don't know if I'd say not too hard. I think it's incredible that you were able to pick all that up and and just kind of be able to to deal with it because a lot of people can't. So kudos to you on that. <laughs> so uh, what what do you see for the future? Right now, it sounds like uh, you go on, you get the extension, and you're able to shop sustainably. Where do you see this going? Oh, there is so much on our product roadmap. Um, even within Amazon, uh, extending to more functionality, obviously growing the database, that, that's important. We want to have thousands and tens of thousands of, uh, of sustainable products in there. Um, growing beyond Amazon, so I would envision the extension popping up when you're in Target or Walmart online or even in a Google search. Uh, going beyond the extension, so the extension is limited that it only works on your desktop. So uh, developing a mobile app is also on the radar. Um, and beyond that, when we have enough data in the, in the product database and a significant uh, customer base, 
uh, I can envision us providing uh, monetization over over the data itself. So what are the buying patterns of customers? Uh, where are they focused? That That's valuable information for different companies. Now that sounds absolutely incredible. And I know as you're expanding your marketing, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording, and you had mentioned that you're launching on Product Hunt. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Product Hunt, uh, to those of you who are not familiar, is this amazing platform where startups can launch products and uh, and really get um, exposure and traction. And uh, from what I'm seeing, it's kind of it's kind of very daunting the the actual launch itself. So you have a window of 24 hours, and you need to get as many upvotes as you can to rank higher and higher in the list. And if you're in the, I think it's the top five or top ten, then they put you out in the daily email. So it's really like a race to the top in those 24 hours. Uh, so we're doing a lot of preparations towards that. We are intending to launch um, first week of July. Okay, so first week of July, so a couple of weeks from now, and that sounds good. So I'm going to ask our audience, get on, upvote. Sustainability is so important right now, and these type of products, we, we need to all support the ability to get out there and know what you're buying is sustainable. We'll have it up on our social media, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter the information on how to get to this. And then we'll go ahead and repost it when we get a little closer to your launch on Product Hunt and go from there. We've got about a minute left. Is there anything else you would like to tell us? Uh, So in general, sustainability for people that are just starting their journey, I think it can be a little bit um, confusing at the beginning or people may think it's kind of an all or nothing. You know, either I live off the grid and grow my own fruit or whatever or I'm always going to be damaging the planet. I, I think my advice would be you, you can take baby steps towards living a more sustainable lifestyle. You can start by just looking at your day-to-day products or looking at how you um, reuse or recycle um, just one step at a time and, uh, and, and don't, don't, you know, don't go all crazy about it. But uh, it's, it's really important. It's really important for us the way we're living right now and really important for future generations to do anything we can uh, to live a more sustainable lifestyle. And in the end, um, the more people join this, I'd say, movement, the more pressure it puts on the larger organizations, the larger companies that are um, you know, producing the, the products that they are to become more sustainable themselves. That sounds great. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to be back on the road in August. We've got a number of upcoming events, including two Comic-Cons back-to-back, one in San Jose and the other in Seattle. Black Hat is in August. So we're going to have a number of things to look forward to that month that are going to be on-site conventions. I am totally stoked. Absolutely. Speaking of of things like Black Hat, too, Firefox has announced that they're enabling their anti-tracking feature by default. And a while back, we know that Apple made these changes on their devices. So security is becoming an issue that a lot of the companies are taking seriously. And this is something that we always get questions about because, of course, any of us are concerned about online information and that type of a thing. We had a recent question come in uh, from this company that they got a bid from some 
a vendor of some kind, this was back east, that was going to come in, I think, for $100,000 and guarantee that their computers would be hack-proof and would not be able to be contaminated by ransomware. Really? They guaranteed it? Yeah, they guaranteed it. Now, of course, when you read the fine print, that was a marketing thing and they didn't really guarantee it. And these are things to be cautious about because as long as your computer is plugged into the internet, these devices are not hack-proof. Some are better than others. But it's like the lock on your front door. The bigger, the better lock might mean the bad guy is going to go to the other house. But if they really want in, eventually they're probably going to get in. So, you know, it comes down to it. What are the steps that you can take? And we talk about this a lot in the Firefox announcement being one of them. But running into security stuff, some common sense things will help a lot. Anti-tracking setup, you can do it on Chrome, but you have to make the changes. Apple, it's automatic. Firefox, it's automatic now those type of things, tracking and cookies and all of that kind of stuff gets confusing. And those can be a topic of a week's class at a symposium on technology. Hmm. But the short answer to that is, is when you visit a website, they store small amounts of information on your computer and then access it later. That's what cookies are. And there's different kinds of these. There's ones that are just fine that if you click the remember me button, that's how it remembers you, that kind of a thing. And then the other kind of tracking cookies, which are the ones of controversy, are the ones that say, oh, you looked and shopped for this item. So now the next 15 websites you're going to go to are going to show advertisements for that item. That's what they're talking about when they're talking about anti-tracking technology. Yeah, I would prefer that those things go away forever. You know, you're still going to get ads. It just won't be focused, as they put it. Well, I mean, that's the thing. If I've looked for the thing and I've already purchased it, I don't need to see 50 more ads for the thing I already own. True. True. (laughs) It's like... Uh, oh, yeah, we can have a very long discussion on why we all don't like this. But the, oh, yeah, that's true. The, but the bottom line, that's where it is. And making these changes have created some problems. Facebook stock, is a, for example, just completely tanked right after this happened because the way Facebook sells their advertising uses tracking, and all of a sudden that won't mm-hmm. work on Apple devices, which is a huge share of the Internet audience, and it's now rolling out to Windows devices. Mm. So... You know, so you do see it from that standpoint that that can be problematic. But other security things like installing updates, we were talking about the uh, vulnerability in the news segment earlier on Microsoft. These are all things that you also want to look out for. Now, if they don't fix it, it makes it a lot more difficult to deal with it. But most of the time, things like making sure your updates are installed and all of that are a big part of securing your system passwords. Uh, we're now over a hundred passwords the average person has online. Mm. That number keeps climbing. So to give the advice that you always hear from technicians of, well, you should have a different password for every website and it should be 15 characters long. That's not feasible. So I always advise securing your financial and health stuff with separate passwords and then get a good password for the rest. Maybe use a couple that you will remember, so you're not having to write down a big long list, but at the same time, having some kind of, you know, some kind of security out there to protect against that. So, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do, and we've all had our security stories. Mm-hmm. Things happen. <laughs> things happen to all of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I almost fell for one. The uh, I got an email from Ace Hardware, where I have a membership at their thing. And it looked very official, and it's like, okay, claim your reward here. And I found myself clicking on it until I moused over, and the uh, website that it linked to ended up in .ru. That's Russia. And I'm thinking, I don't think Ace Hardware is doing their point loyalty card system on a Russian server. 
No, I, I would no. hope they don't. <laughs> no. So, um, but you know, anything that asks for personal information, anything that's like, click to confirm your account because it's been locked out and then they want all your personal. I just don't just, that's a bad yeah. thing. And if you're really concerned, go to the company's website, get their phone number, not out of the email, but on the website and call them and see what's going on because the phone number and the email could even link to the bad guys. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you answers. How do you send your questions? I'm glad you asked. 503-766-6264 is the phone number. One User-Friendly on Facebook or Twitter or userfriendlyshow.com. What questions do we have this week? Is there an easy way to convert files without expensive software? Yeah, so this is a very open-ended listener question. I talked to the listener about this to try to figure out specifically what they were looking at. And I would depend on what you're converting. But what they were specifically talking about here is graphics, like a GIF to a JPEG, that kind of thing. Hmm. And for for that and for video files and audio MP3s, all that kind of things, there are ways to do it. In fact, there's ways where you don't even have to install software. The way that I normally do is using a function called Cloud Convert. And it's a website you go to, you upload your original file, tell you what you want it to convert it to, it does it, then sends you the other file. Hmm. So uh, that doesn't require installing anything, and it's always worked quite well. They do have some advertising, but I haven't been asked or forced to buy anything. So that would be a way that I'd recommend doing it. There's a number of those type of systems out there, but it is possible to do this without having to go out and buy costly software or some other tool to do it with. or and this is where you need to be careful. If you go out to the web and download a tool, you're installing software on your computer. If you do that, make sure you know that it's real and that it's not a ripoff and it's not something that's purporting itself to be something else because that does happen a lot with these kind of utilities. What is Tizen? Oh, I think it's a word. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea what that is. Tizen. Okay. This is something <laughs> that's actually been around for a while, but we're starting to see more of it. It's an operating system. Oh. And basically, it's something that's done by Samsung primarily. There's some partners in it, but they've had this and they run it, and they use it for a lot of their wearables. We're starting to see it on some of the smart TVs and other devices now, and it's built on Linux. Uh, It's a miniature version of it, so it's designed to run in all these different things. It could work in your car's infotainment system. They even have it in some fridge freezers, you know, things like that, smart (laughs) devices. But uh, that's what this is primarily for. So it's in a way, it's a competitor to um, some of the other wearable OSs and things like that. But it is something that's been out there. I don't know, you know how far we're going to see this OS go, but it is definitely a thing. It's definitely something you'll probably encounter, especially if you use Samsung devices. And it's something that uh, just adds on and gives a little more competition to everything. Is it true setting up a government account can protect my personal information? You know, your initial answer to this would be like, no, but there's a little research that's been done on this and it actually can. So here's what this is. If you have 
a service like, say, the unemployment office or the federal government or that type of a thing. If you create your account, whether or not you're applying for benefits, then you've created your account and locked it to yourself. If you haven't, and someone gets your personal information, then they can create your account but lock it to them. So in a sense, setting this up does actually have that kind of an idea where it will make it a little bit more secure. And if someone tries to create an account like on login.gov, that's what's used for accessing things like social security and a number of other services, you would be notified because the account already exists. If it doesn't, and the a hacker has enough personal information, then they can create the account and parade around as you going to social security and all these other things. And during the pandemic, this has been a huge problem of people applying for unemployment benefits in other people's names, and the actual person doesn't even know about it until they get the statement for their taxes the following year. And then all of a sudden, they're responsible for all of this stuff, or worse, if they've been working, they can be brought up on charges of fraud and all, all that. So at the end of the day, there is some logic behind this. And it, it is true. Uh, in the state of Nevada, and I can't tell you how I know this, but a number of people um, that I encountered um, would be questioning, well, why can't I get into my unemployment? They would go through the IDME process, which has been used in a lot of states now to verify your personal information. Um, and then they'd get still in and it would be like, well, no, you can't do this because you already have an account with unemployment. Or there were people coming in going, well, I got this tax thing, but I never applied for unemployment. And this all happened prior to that, where a lot of that unemployment um, fraud occurred. And so mm-hmm. going through and doing this and getting it set up and locked to yourself, uh, you're, you can't really do it for your kids until they're 18, I believe, uh, maybe a little earlier. Probably a good idea just to make sure that you have it and that it is set up correctly, because it is a long, arduous, very very complex situation to go through to fix it. Yeah, I would imagine like with most identity theft, it's going to just be a pain to fix these type of things. So yeah, so so if you preempt them by setting up an account on these systems, whether or not you need to claim benefits or whatever, that actually can lock it down. So anyway. Can I trust my Windows 11 professional product key? Well, I don't know if you can trust it, but you can transfer it. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I I think my brain was still stuck on that other thing. Like, oh, man, that's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, the idea for us. No, transfer, transfer your key. And yes. All right. So this depends on how you originally got it. And this actually applies to both Windows 10 and Windows 11. So a lot of times the use case on this was somebody had bought a computer with Windows 11 Home Edition and wanted professional. So they bought the upgrade, which is $100 usually, installed professional, and we're good to go. And now that computer crashed, so they replaced it with a new one. Can they move that key to the new one on Windows Home and upgrade it again? And the answer to that is in that set of circumstances, yes. Now, the best way is if you still have access to your old computer it's coming off of is to go in and deactivate it, and then you can simply install it on the new machine. If you can't do that, like the case of a computer that's crashed, you can still activate it, but Microsoft does have a limited number of activations on the key. There will be a point where it will stop working. Uh, and they do that so if the key gets posted to the internet, it's just you, you can't just use it indefinitely. 
if that happens, then you need to call Microsoft and, and deal with it from that standpoint. But if Windows comes pre-installed as professional, you can't transfer that to another computer. You would have to get a different license for the other computer. So again, if you've bought the key, you can move it under that set of circumstances. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. You know, I love the Q&A segments, and when we go along like that, it's kind of fun, but we've got a lot of good questions coming in, so keep them coming, you know? Yeah. So this segment's kind of expo facto since the start of COVID has been become the talking about what we've seen on television segment, <laughs> uh, more or less. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. For, the, for the first time, I actually have something that I've seen that I don't think you guys have. It's called Vinland Saga. Hmm. No, I've not seen it. This was produced back in 2019. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it was uh, free with that. And I think it runs 24 episodes, one season. And it's a very interesting animated series that has to do very much with Viking mythology and all of that kind of thing. Um, I thought it was pretty well done. Now, the one gotcha on it is it is in Chinese, so you do have to turn on the <laughs> subtitles. Okay. But it's worth doing, and, they, and they've done a really cool job. And it, it hinges around the story, uh, starts with Leif Erikson and kind of goes from there. And they talk about a lot of the different things. For anybody that doesn't know, Vinland was what the Vikings called uh, North America, uh, which was discovered documentably uh, several hundred years before Christopher Columbus. So this is a bit of history that's out there, and there's different areas and different things that talk about it. But this is kind of a fun one. Now, I will say it is extremely violent, so definitely Mm -hmm. be prepared for it. I'm not sure if this is for the kids or not, (laughs) Uh, but the the animation style and all that kind of thing is really, really well done, in my opinion. So I think check it out again, free on uh, Prime Video on Amazon. And it's on demand, and again, 24 episodes, one season. So you guys have anything interesting or yeah. new that you've seen? I saw a movie uh, called to- about Tolkien, and I okay. remember it being offered in the theaters, and for some reason I didn't get a chance to see it, but it's actually about the author, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. And I so Lord of the really Rings it, yeah. uh, and all of that. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. And uh, how, how does one find it? Oh, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember wh- which which streaming service I saw it on. Yeah, I'll just look um, it up. That's yeah. one thing. If you have a Fire TV or Roco, you can actually search now. There's a new feature, all of your subscribed services. Oh, that's so if you neat. want a particular show, you, it'll tell you if you have it or if you don't and how to get it. So, you know, good use for that type of a thing. All right, so we've got some events coming up. Um, just finished up the uh, Sherwood Cruise in. And it was an incredible show. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. We've got some upcoming events. There is an art walk for any of our Oregon listeners in Sherwood on the solstice. In fact, our sponsor of our show this week is going to be there. And I definitely suggest checking it out. That's always a lot of fun. Some of the bigger events in August, we've got Emerald City Comic Con. We've got Silicon Valley Comic Con. We've got Rose City Comic Con in September. Black Hat All that stuff. And until then, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022.
User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeirdTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.